broadcasting live from the studios of Business Radio X, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Village Medical, an award-winning primary care practice. Village Medical, a new way to well. This is Dr. Jim Morrow, and we appreciate so much you taking some time to listen to what we might have to say today. I'm very excited about the podcast today. Uh, I'm here in my office studio. Uh, My producers are there in their studios as well, but we're going to concentrate on my guest today. I'm very fortunate, very blessed to have uh, as a guest today, Todd Jones. Uh, Todd's in the legislature in Georgia, and he is going to talk to us about uh, mental health in Georgia. Uh, I will tell you, mental health is a gigantic problem. I think everybody knows this, but in medicine, we have a huge problem because we have just the hardest time trying to get patients seen by some sort of specialist, whether it's psychotherapy, whether it's psychiatry. It's incredibly difficult. Back in the 80s, 90s, and into 2000 and 2009, finally, I actually had a psychologist in my office uh, up to twice a week in a lot of cases seeing just my patients because it was six or eight weeks before I could get anybody seen. And, and everybody I think knows that if you are dealing with mental health, usually it's not a see them when you want to situation. So I'm very happy. I'm going to welcome Todd Jones. Todd's here with us. And I really appreciate you taking some time to talk with us, John, Todd. Sure. Dr. Morrow, thank you very much for the invitation and happy to speak about mental health and substance abuse today. Well, it it is such a huge problem, and I doubt that there's anybody that hasn't felt a touch of this uh, in themselves, most likely, but certainly in their family. So if you will, tell us about your passion and why you have such a passion for mental health uh, and what you're trying to do in the state of Georgia. Wow, that's a broad question, sir. (laughs) Uh, We may be here for a while. That's okay. Uh, But I'll try and synthesize it for you. I I think ultimately um, I've been... I've been humbled and honored to be able to represent the constituents of the Georgia 25th for seven years now. And so we're able to get, I'll say, I guess, a preview of not just what's happening in the Georgia 25th, which is South Forsyth County and North Fulton, but also across all 159 of our counties. And consistently, you can ask the sheriffs, the DAs, the judges, the doctors, the nurses, you name it, what are some of the things that you're grappling with? And I'm sure many of your listeners would start a list, but one of the things they're going to hear in the top five is we are grappling with a true mental health crisis and we are grappling with a substance abuse crisis. Uh, Mental health will typically be followed up with, hey, we're seeing a lot of co-diagnosis in terms of mental health and substance abuse issues Mm -hmm. with the same individual. And we're also seeing a lot of criminal justice come in there because of the fact that typically you're going to see within our prison population, our jail population, unfortunately, you're going to see a very high prevalence of mental health issues and substance abuse issues. So when you take that all together, you start to realize we need to nip this in the bud. And then you start doing a root cause analysis of why, and then what is it that the state can do? What can our communities do? What can our churches and other houses of worships do? And then also what can our charities do to order to solve, maybe not solve, but how about this, address this issue? Well, the the churches, uh, you mentioned them, and I think that's a, a very good point. They have always opened their doors for uh, substance abuse, especially NA meetings and AA meetings. Most of them are probably held in churches. And, and they've always given people a 
basically a shelter, in my opinion, not just from a, a faith standpoint, but from this standpoint as well. But in the 2022 session, you co-sponsored what was called the Mental Health Parity Act. Yep. And I'd love to hear about that. Uh, I think that passed. And so I'd like to hear about what you what you did there. Sure. So the Mental Health Parity Act, which was led by late speaker David Ralston and then co-sponsored between uh, Mary Margaret Oliver and then myself, uh, it was a lot of people at the Capitol have called it the biggest bill in 30 years. And that's pretty humbling uh, because a lot of things happen at the Capitol during our 40-day session each year. And the Mental Health Parity Act, and so many times I've kicked myself because we probably should have called it the Mental Health Parity Act and Substance Abuse Act because the act itself uh, definitely addresses mental health, but it also affects in so many different ways substance abuse. And I think the two of them, if they're not directly related, they're definitely first cousins. And to address one without the other, I think would be a fault with the state. And I'm glad that the state was able to combine them. But 1013, our, our House Bill 1013, first and foremost, to have both chambers vote for it unanimously. That was absolutely one of the more profound times in my seven years of service. And then, of, of course, to have the governor actually ask us to slow down on day 40, which is sign die, to sign the bill in a very big ceremony. We think I think that tells us everything about how big that bill is in terms of the transformation and where Georgia is. Georgia, unfortunately, depending on which poll you look at or which study you look at, but we are definitely in the bottom, I'll just say tier when it comes to mental health, mental health professionals, uh, mental health infrastructure, substance abuse professionals, substance abuse infrastructure. So for us to be able to address this, we needed to create a foundation. So no different than if you're about to build a home, you wouldn't, you know, just step up to the property and just start framing. You would, you know, grade it properly, get it ready and get the foundation going. And that's what 1013 did. 1013 had a profound impact, first and foremost, on parity. For your listeners who don't know what that means, that means that insurance now must cover mental health the same way it covers physical health. Um, if an orthopedic surgeon says your knee's injured and you need an operation, well, I would argue the brain being the most complex organ in the body, if the psychiatrist says that you need something with your brain, then we need to handle it in parity to the same way that an oncologist or an orthopedic or a general practitioner. The second thing that it did was it provided for assistant outpatient therapy. Um, so many Georgia families have been hit with mental health challenges, substance abuse challenges, either directly or indirectly. And they know that, unfortunately, the cycle is something that so many people have experienced, I mean, literally 10, 20, 30, 40 times. And what I mean by the cycle is in mental health, it's a five to seven day, what I call acute period. Then there's a step down process for 15 to 30 days. And then, unfortunately, you're patted on the back and we're, set, and we're told, good luck. And the feeling is House Bill 1013 set in process a third stage called insistent outpatient therapy. So after acute, after the step down, there is a safety net there for the citizens of Georgia. The third thing that 1013 did was it created the co-responder model. So many times we spoke to our police chiefs, we spoke to our sheriffs, and one of the things we heard was 911 calls have a profound number of mental health, I'll say, triage, mental mm -hmm. substance abuse triage. So now the co-responder model provides for the deputy or the officer to be able to have a physical person with them to assess the mental health of the person that they were called out to, the substance abuse, I'll say, status of that individual, or they can do it virtually. And that virtual can go through their CAMs, which some of our departments mm -hmm. have throughout the, state, throughout the state of Georgia, or 
they can just use their iPhone or their Android and basically do a video back to a qualified professional to assess mental health and then also substance abuse. And in terms of those three things, parity, in terms of outpatient, and then in terms of co-responder, we have seen such a big move for the state of Georgia and the foundation that we've created. So we're super proud of that. Well, that's great. But the the co-responder thing makes you wonder, and I'm glad they can do it virtually because yeah. the first thing that came to mind was there's not enough people. Right. And and there are not enough mm-hmm. psychotherapists, counselors, mental health social workers, whatever, because psychiatrists don't do this anymore. The, the days of laying on a couch and telling a, a psychiatrist your problems are long gone. Yeah. I mean, psychiatrists are the specialists in the medications that are needed, but so many of these people don't need medication. They don't need only medication, at least. They need help. Yeah. They need, you know, education, some 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 tools that they can't get otherwise. So is has Georgia done anything to try to to bring those providers into the state? Yeah. As a matter of fact, you're, you're spot on, Dr. Morrow. Uh, depending on the year, and again, it does fluctuate, we have about 10 counties out of 159 that don't have a doctor. And I don't just mean, I mean, not a mental health doctor. I'm talking about right. a doctor. I know. Just someone who's a GP, maybe an internist, just a doctor. Imagine living in a county where you have yeah. to go to another county just to maybe get a wellness check. Um, we have, again, depending on the year, we have about 30 counties that don't have an OBGYN. Um, and imagine you're a female, you need to go do your checks, you got to get your wellness done, mm-hmm. you're pregnant, et cetera. Imagine having to travel well. Mental health, unfortunately, that has not been an area that Georgia has focused on. Most surveys, most polls, and we don't know this scientifically, tell us around 35 to 40 counties out of 159 do not have an MD-level professional within that county for mental health or substance abuse. And so to say that we are a desert of mental health you know, senior professionals, um, I think that's a fair statement. So yeah, we have, or we are aggressively doing workforce development. Uh, you hear workforce development in manufacturing, you hear workforce development in <laughs> you distribution, do. logistics, you hear that all the time on the news, but you don't hear about workforce development, especially at the MD level and at the doctor level and the <laughs> senior practitioner level about what we're doing with mental health and substance abuse. So for us, it is super important for us to be able to do that. We're working with the private sector, but we're also incorporating a series of different incentives. If you look at Mercer Medical School, we are working with them in terms of rural benefits, in terms of if you go to medical school there, we do loan repayment for you and loan forgiveness if you agree to serve in the rural parts of our states. We're doing the same thing for certain mental health professionals that aren't going up to the MD level, but maybe up to the nurse practitioner level, the physician's assistance level, you name it. So you're going to see, and you have seen, a series of different initiatives from the General Assembly and also from our governor in terms of our ability to enhance, or I'll say promote the idea of practicing in the state of Georgia, especially in our rural counties. Well, that's wonderful because that that's one of the things that will really make a, a huge difference. Of course, it does take time to increase those numbers, but we just finished this public health emergency with the pandemic and everybody's just up to here with the pandemic. I know, yeah. but one thing that the pandemic absolutely increased the need for this and the number of cases of this number of occurrences of problems with mental health and such, but it, it also, it also allowed us to start doing telemedicine. 
We were never able to do telemedicine. Insurance companies wouldn't allow it. The government didn't like it. Nobody liked it. And they've realized now there are a lot of things that can be well done with telemedicine. And, and if there's a better opportunity for telemedicine, I don't know what it is than this. Dr. Barrow. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. No, I was just thinking are, are the counties that don't have an MD. And, and by the way, if I'm the, family doctor in a county that doesn't have an OBGYN and they asked me to start delivering babies, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. (laughs) That just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It scares me to death. Yeah. But, but so what's happening with, with telemedicine? You are absolutely spot on. We're seeing an explosion of telemedicine. Um, I have family members, for instance, that are doing their therapy through telemedicine. And that is the preferred route. In other words, that practitioner is in my county, but the prefer- but the preferences is to do it mm-hmm. through, I'll say virtual, just because of, of its convenience. And to your point, you're able to get a certain level of intimacy when you have a one-on-one video, just like you would within, yeah. I'll say, a physical environment. So we are using that. I think one of the things that I would point your listeners towards is our medical school in Georgia, pardon me, in, in Augusta, uh, is absolutely helping us in terms of leverage. And that leverage really comes towards using and leveraging resonance, resonancing, leveraging interns so that they can be helping deliver this type of medicine out to the areas that do not have it or are low service. So for instance, we may have a county, say, and I'll say the exurban parts of our state that has one mental health professional. Well, I love that that mental health professional is there, but just because we have one doesn't mean it can serve all the individuals that need services. So being able to leverage through telemedicine is big. We did see, as you just reflected on, the insurance companies have been more, much more, I'll say, Mm -hmm. open to it. And so we've seen that. And we've also seen, frankly, MAG become more open to it because for a long time, not, and I don't mean this negatively, MAG was not necessarily a huge supporter of telemedicine. And now we've seen that also flip. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm very glad to hear it. Now we, we got HB 1013, which has the most ironic name in history. Yes. Um, passed, but you also sponsored uh, house bill 520. Mm-hmm. So tell our listeners what you're trying to accomplish with uh, HB 520. So, yeah. So if 1013 set the foundation, 520 is the framing and the conduit within your house to use that type of metaphor. 520 really focused on two key areas. The first one is familiar faces. And then the second one is effectively infrastructure. And that's everything from beds and then also workforce development, like we just noted about five or 10 minutes ago. But first one on the familiar faces, if your listeners aren't aren't familiar with the phrase familiar faces, Each community, not just within Georgia, but within the United States, if you walked in and asked, I'll say, the criminal justice folks, the DAs, the public defenders, the sheriffs, the police chiefs, or if you asked the medical side or the homeless advocates and you said, hey, who are some of the men and women who you just see frequently? They literally would be able to give you names or at least names. for sure. And that's sad because these are individuals that literally bounce from homelessness to our criminal justice system, which is code for jail into our emergency rooms and then into our hospitals. And then they literally just keep doing either clockwise or counterclockwise a rotation through. So these folks are going through cycles about every 30 to 60 days. And this is going in in perpetuity, everybody, Mm -hmm. in perpetuity. The challenge is these familiar faces make up, again, survey-wise, we believe they make up less than 20% of the folks who are suffering from mental health and also from substance abuse issues, but they consume 40 to 50% of the resources, both human capital and financial capital. So we believe 
We have to focus on these individuals for two reasons. One, they're the ones most likely with the most need, and we want to be able to triage those with the highest need versus the lowest. But secondly, just from a practical budgeting standpoint, we live in a balanced budget world, unlike the federal government. We only have so many resources. If we're able to address this population that's taking up 40 to 50 percent, even though they only make up maybe 10 or 20 percent, we believe we're going to free up even more human capital and more financial capital for the others that need our help. The second one, we've already spoke a little bit about workforce development, but I'll talk mm -hmm. about meds. Here's a statistic that I think those of you who are driving, stop driving, or at least pay really attention and hold on to your steering wheels. 30 years ago, we had about, and again, these are estimates, about 650,000 mental health beds in our country. That number today is down to 60,000, even though our population is up from about 210, 220 million to about 315 million. So if that wow. one statistic is not profound enough for you to know that there is a true infrastructure issue, I don't know what else I can share with you. So our feeling is, is not only do we need to know how many beds do we have within the state of Georgia, but what kind of beds? And doctor, you know what I'm talking about. It's one thing to have an acute bed. It's one thing to have a step down bed. Are those beds, are they, are they manned, for lack of a better phrase, by proper professionals? Are they not manned by proper professionals? Are they capable of doing ICU? Are they capable of doing 24 by 7? Are they just ones that are effectively in the assisted living area, which is a much different type of bed than one that we would use for an acute patient, for instance. So we're really trying to dig down deep so that we can better understand our infrastructure and then understand where we would want to put our strategic bets. Well, I, I know when I was doing my training back in the woolly mammoth days, which <laughs> goes back, probably call it the mid eighties, almost every hospital had a floor for psychiatric. And, you know, I hadn't thought about this till you brought it up, but I couldn't, I don't remember a hospital nearby that has a psychiatric floor anymore. And well, that that difference alone is is a lot of of beds, but the number you're you're spouting is terrible. And we the the familiar faces we have often called them frequent flyers, and Delta probably wouldn't like that. Yeah, but that's what we've always called them. And I mean, your your point is a very good one. You're right. If you can eliminate that chunk, or at least decrease, you're not going to eliminate. It. If you can decrease that chunk of the 40 to 50% of what you're paying, it's going to make a huge difference. But that bill didn't get out of committee. What could they possibly have not liked about that bill? So 520 did get, get out of the House. And for those oh, that's right. Who, didn't get out of the Senate. Yeah, for those right. of you who, right. who remember your schoolhouse rock, uh, the legislative branch is made up of two chambers, right. uh, not just at the federal level, but here in Georgia. So it got out of the House. It made it over yeah. the Senate. Um, there was a compromised version of the bill that was put into committee and it still sits in the committee right now on the Senate side. Um, we hope when we reconvene in January, uh, I'm sure Dr. Watson and that committee uh, will do its very best to either keep 520 intact or maybe have an alternative path that they expect to take with 520. But I do think ultimately the two goals that we just discussed in terms of familiar faces and infrastructure, we need to be able to address those and how we address those, I think, are going to be important. And I'm strongly of the belief that the Senate and the House will have a compromise that will work and that we can deliver to the governor. Well, good. And, and one thing that I, I believe is happening and I really hope is happening is that all the talk and all the news articles and everything about these these problems 
is to some degree reducing the stigma around mental health. Now, I, I think one thing that should reduce the stigma around it is the fact that look at your own family. Look at the people you're with and the people you love. The odds are tremendous you're dealing with some of this. But is there anything else you know of that we might do or that's being done to help reduce that stigma? Because it really is terrible. Yeah. the We shouldn't be ashamed to have this conversation. I know nobody who is ashamed to say, hey, I had my ACL taken care of by the ortho five years ago, or yeah. I had my gallbladder out three years ago, or my right. appendix, and I, I can say this from personal knowledge, my, ten, my appendix burst, and I needed a surgeon to take it out pretty quick. Yeah. No one thinks otherwise of, hey, he had nothing to do with his appendix bursting. It just happened, and the Lord did that, and thank God the Lord gave the skills to the surgeon to take care of me. It's no different. The brain makes up, and I don't need to tell you, you have an MD. It's the most complex organ. And it is. I would argue it's more complex than the computers that we use every day. And the idea that you're having a disease of that organ or you're having a challenge within that organ, we should be nothing. I don't, I'm not going to say we should be proud we have a problem with it, but we shouldn't be ashamed or, or stop or we are reserved mm. to talk about, hey, I'm just having a down day. And that doesn't mean I'm weak. It just means, hey, I'm having a down biorhythm and, you know, just give me a moment and I'll be able to get it together. And others are having, I'll say, very serious issues. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one thing that I always like to talk about, you, you mentioned the pandemic, you know, a few minutes ago. There's not one age category within my district. And just so you know, my district is number one in completed education, number one in net worth, number one in compensation. You name it, we're number one in all the things we want to be number one in. But there's not one age bracket where we weren't up in suicides over 300% during the pandemic. I'll say that one more time for everybody, 300%. So for me, I would much rather have the conversation and make sure that 15-year-old, that 19-year-old, the 25-year-old or the 50-year-old knows we're there for them and may it be their church a charity another house of worship whatever it may be or just a friend next door that walk with them might be the difference between them thinking about taking their life and maybe going to a professional and getting the help that they need so you're a a businessman certainly and a legislator um but you're also a family man a husband father what advice do you have for people who have a loved one that's suffering from a mental health diagnosis, you, you're, you're talking to these people, I'm certain, every day. And, and what sort of advice do you have for them when they have a family member who's in the middle of the struggle? Well, I think first and foremost, yes. Um, because of my, I'll say, co-sponsorship of 1013, I get phone calls, Dr. Morrow, not just from my constituents, and I consider, obviously, District 25 is who I represent, but to all 10.7 million Georgians are my constituents. I get phone calls every week from Brunswick, from Habersham, from Albany, you know, all across our great state, and all of them are facing the same thing. And it all starts with my son, my daughter, my niece, my grandmother is having X challenge, and it always starts with, I don't know what to do. Well, know this. The first thing I can say is, please remember these three numbers, 988. We have installed the 988 phone line as of last year. It's had its one-year anniversary last week. I would ask everyone on your phone or on the podcast to be thinking, I know you all know 911, but don't forget 988. 
reach out to 988. 988 is there for mental health support to help you be able to find the help that you may need, maybe through a professional, a support group, or just someone to lean on. The second one is clearly, and I've mentioned it a few times now, it's your community. And many of us, I define my community, not just of the people I live with, but my house of worship, and then also the charities. I can guarantee you there's a place for you to be able to get that help. And then third, and I mean this, Todd Jones, Georgia. Google it. My cell number is there. If you need any help, text me, call me, and I'll be the first one there with you. I don't care if it's midnight, four in the morning, or seven in the afternoon, or in the evening. I'll help you find something. I'd rather you call, reach out, say you have the challenge, and let us help. Right. That's what we're there for. Well, I tell patients every day that nobody ever regretted calling 911. That's right. And, and I think it's so important that you bring up 988 because the majority of people still don't know it exists. I yep. mean, they really don't know it exists. I mean, I knew it and I'd frankly forgotten about it because it's it's not yep. something that I'm seeing all the time. But people need to be very aware of that. And they need to I think the state needs to do more to publicize that because it's huge. And if nobody ever regretted calling 911, I can promise you nobody will ever regret calling 988. That's right. So, so please do that. If you do have a concern about someone, they, they may not, they may not be able to help you right then, but they can almost certainly direct you. And I think it's just, I, I think it's one of the best things you can do. Now, if people listen to this and it stirs them a little bit, what can listeners do to, to sort of lean into this cause, if you will? I think leaning into this cause really is, I think everything should start with, I'm going to say, you know, one square mile from you. Ask yourself, what can you do? And if that means walking, you know, asking your school system or your private school, is there anything that I can help with? I'm, I'm a great listener. Look, we need a lot of great listeners in this world more than we need talkers. We so do. it's great to have someone who sits on a bench and just hears the challenge and then get the relationships that are necessary to help that person get the right support that they need. We need people to just, you know, be able to know that. And again, I, I continue to go back to, we have so many different places where people congregate. And that, again, that could mm -hmm. be in charities. It could be at school. It could be at a sports field. It could be so many different places. Be open, be that person that everyone says, wow, I can approach Dr. Morrow. He seems to be the type of guy that if I went with him with a challenge, that he's going to help me. And he may not be able to help me personally, but I think he's the type of guy resourceful enough to find me something that could help me. And just know that literally they say charity starts at home. I believe the ability to deliver back to the citizens of Georgia starts within one square mile of your home. Oh, I think that's wonderful. And please, if you're listening to this, if you, if this rings true with you, make an appointment for yourself, even to consult with your, your primary care doctor if, if you can make an appointment for the person who's dealing with the problem to see their primary care doctor, if they've not done anything, because you, you can't access this help without getting into the system in the first place. You have to be introduced to it in some fashion. All you have to do is ask, just please ask. And, and like Todd said, you know, reach out to 988 if you need to uh, check out Todd's website. Todd Jones, Georgia, uh, that.gov. 
Uh, you can, yeah, you can go to Jones for us, jonesfor.us and see information there. Good. If you Google Todd Jones, Georgia, you will literally get my cell number. And that's my cell number. It's not staff. And feel free to text or call. I'm there to help. Well, that's wonderful. And I do hope people will do that. We're going to continue to, to fight this battle and try to get better at fighting this battle from a medical standpoint. Todd is working obviously diligently to get us more people and more access to that care. And I just have to believe that we're going to make a difference. Todd, I really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. So Thank very you, much. Thank you, sir. So for now, time. that's to your health. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is sponsored by Village Medical, making your primary care more caring. Village Medical is a new way to well. To learn more, go to villagemedical.com.